Self-adjusted here. All right, good morning. Morning, good to be here, good morning. It's nice to be back. Thank you for having me. And uh, good to hear from you, Alana. Good to hear about your story and from Bulgaria and what you're doing there. It's very encouraging to be here, not just that I can see different types of people at Redeemer, but also hear about what you're doing. I think last time, one of the times I was here, you were hearing from someone from Brazil. And I know that Mark partners, you guys partner with um, us in China Partnership and some of the things I do with China Partnership. In China also, and actually Thursday, I met with Mark and CE talking about how to get more involved in China. So I love how that you guys are a small church here in the middle of nowhere. Not middle of nowhere, but you know. <laughs> to a lot of the world, it's the middle of nowhere, Ohio. But you are so connected to the world and to the kingdom, which is a very encouraging thing for me to hear about. But you know, again, my name is Ryan. I am um, one of the pastors of New City, one of your sister churches. And um, like um, Jared just said, we, we're just going through Nehemiah in our current sermon series. And last week, we just finished preaching on Nehemiah 4. And um, just like you did here, and I'm going to be preaching on Nehemiah 6 next week. And I guess it would make sense for me to just go ahead and talk about Nehemiah, but I don't want to sow any discords and say anything that may be heretical to Mark. Therefore, um, I would like to take a break from Nehemiah, and we're going to go talk about something different from the New Testament. All right, now, I've been a pastor in Cincinnati for about five years, over five years. Mark is a great friend, and I've been here many times, and I love um, what you're doing here in Mason. You're building up a, a diverse community, a diverse, multi-ethnic community to reflect the kingdom of God, and I love that. It's hard work. It's also important work, but I wish all the churches would catch the same vision. And I love coming happy to worship with you, but it's refreshing. It's a refreshing experience, but I would like to talk about something a little bit different today. Uh, from Romans 14, a diverse community, but you'll see in a second, I'm going to talk about a different type of diversity. You know, the one that may be even harder to achieve than ethnic diversity. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn to Romans 14. I'll be reading from verses 1 to 12, and I'll be reading from the ESV version. So Romans 14, verses 1 to 12, I'll let you turn there. <clears throat> All right, Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteemed one day as better than other, while another esteems all they alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observeth in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor, in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, 
whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This word of the Lord. Now, last fall, I had a chance to visit a church in North Carolina. It's actually a similar church to you guys. They're trying to be multi-ethnic and try to focus on um, drawing people from different cultures into a church. And I was talking to the pastors there, and he's a great friend of mine. I think Mark also knows him. But it's a PCA church, and they share the same challenges that many churches share in the last couple of years. They've had a hard time during the pandemic. Not Often, other than the physical challenges of gathering and COVID, they had disagreements over race, you know, over um, how many of the divisive election, over COVID precautions. At one point, I told them, at our church in New City, we, we are not very much of a cultural warrior church. And the pastor just looked at me like I, I came from a different planet. Now, by that, I didn't mean that we don't have different opinions at New City, I'm sure we do, but by God's grace, these differences have not caused major divisions at our church. We may think that's because the people in New City, and you may think that as well, people in New City are just nicer, maybe more gracious, um, even better temperaments, right? <laughs> no. Wrong. No. Romans 14 reminds us that without God's grace, we can easily divide over many things. This is how John Stott, as a pastor, the former pastor in the Anglican Church in England, describes this chapter. He says, These are high doctrines for humble duties. High doctrine for humble duties. To, to truly love people who disagree with us, we have to do something deeper. We have to do some deeper theological reflections. So I'd like to look at our passage today backward. We start from the back and go to the front. But I want to talk about three things, identity, inclusion, and impulses. Identity, inclusion, and impulses, okay? So identity, let me invite you to complete this sentence for me. You don't have to say it out loud, but just use the first word that comes to your mind. I am a blank. I am a blank. And what comes to your mind? Some of you may think of your role in your family. Right? I'm a father, mother. You may think of your profession. I'm a teacher. I'm a doctor, engineer. Or you may think of your affiliations. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm an Eagle Scout. What do these identities give you? It may be a sense of purpose. It explains why you wake up in the morning. Or maybe a sense of pride. You know, I'm a bug guide. I'm an American. Or maybe give you shame, especially your first thoughtless, I'm a Rats fan. Right? Now, God bless you. Now, let's change this up a little bit. Think of the last person from church or your family, or your friends who you had a disagreement with. Someone that you had a heated argument with. Now, complete the sentence for me. He is a blank. She is a blank. What comes to mind? This time, idiot, 
fool, liberal, pastor. Now, what Paul tells us in the book of Romans in the first eight chapters, and then again in Romans 14, is that we are the Lord's. We are sons and daughters of God. That identity defines us and changes us. The verse 7 says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Now, Jesus redeems us from the grip of sin, and he cleanses us with his blood. He died to take our place on the cross, and he gives us new life. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And that price is the life and blood of the Son of God. And what does that look like for us? What does that mean to be the Lord's? Well, do you guys know, have you guys seen the show Sherlock? BBC, Benedict Cumberbatch. But even if you haven't, right, you, you may have heard of you know, this character from books, Sherlock Holmes. You know, Sherlock Holmes is the, the, the brilliant detective. He has very, very high IQ, okay, very intelligent, but very, very low EQ. That means he's terrible at reading the room and connecting with people. So he's very bad with emotions. But in, in season four of this show, Sherlock's friend just died to save his life. Okay, one of his dear friends, and Sherlock was falling apart. Now, at first, it may seem like Sherlock was just feeling guilty for her death. And until the end of the episode, Sherlock said something very profound. He said, in saving my life, she conferred a value on it. It is a currency I do not know how to spend. In saving my life, she conferred a value on it. It's a currency I do not know how to spend. And I think that may maybe connect with you just a little bit. Think about the song we sing, O Holy Night, right? Long lay the world in sin and air repining till he appears and the soul found its worth. Jesus saved us and he conferred a value on us. It's a value. It's a currency that now we need to know how to spend. So Paul says the same in our lives. When Christ died for us, he conferred a value in our lives, a divine value even, and transforms us how we live. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. It's easy to forget that, isn't it? And when we're in a heated argument, when our pride is being wounded, we may invoke the name of Jesus to support our arguments, but it's easy to forget who we are in relations with Jesus. It's even easier to forget that Jesus died for the brothers and sisters that you are disagreeing with. He died for the sisters who voted for Trump. He died for the sister who voted for Biden. He died for the family who sends their kids to public school. He died for the family who sends their kids to private schools. The ones we were not a people, rejected by God, dead in our sins, but now we are God's people. Now, I'm probably the only one here who actually got to pick my own first name. Maybe actually some of you may did if you had um, experience like me. So I, I had a Chinese name growing up, okay? So, and then up to, um, that was the only name I had for years and years until I moved to this country and when I was 12 and I adopted an English name. And, and, you know, just to make it easier for, you know, all Americans to say my name. So my uncle first gave me the name David, okay? And I didn't like it. 
I didn't think it was cool enough. But now, of course, I can't regret it because my wife's name is Abigail. So if I kept my name David, we have been Abigail and David, just like in the Bible. But, you know, I didn't know that back then. So, so I wanted to pick another name, and instead I gave my name Ryan. And it took me a while to get used to the name Ryan. So when people say, hey, Ryan, I forgot that they were talking to me. You know, some of you married ladies may have that experience when they call your new last name, right? Well, then, now I've used this name for almost 23 years. And all my closest friends call me by, by that name. My wife calls me by that name. And I see another type of strange phenomenon. When occasionally someone calls me by my Chinese name, like my mom or my relatives in China, I had to do a double take. That's really me. They are talking to me. They, that's what I was a long time ago. That was my deeper identity. Now, why did I tell that story? Well, because some of you may be new to the Christian faith. So you are still getting used to this new identity as sons and daughters of God, and you're still growing in it, and that's okay. It will take some time, but we need to continue to press into that new identity. And some of you have been Christians for a long, long time. You know the Bible well, and you know all the arguments backward and forward. But from time to time, it's good to have someone remind you. You are a son and daughter of God. You are the Lord. You are bought with a price. I hope you're reminded of that here every Sunday. Now, as you hear the gospel, as you, you, you hear about how Jesus died to save you, even especially when you are in a heated argument, to, remind, to remember that. And as sons and daughters of God, that makes you a family. It makes you a loving community, a serving community, a worshiping community. And just like any other families, the church family is also a diverse community. It includes a diversity of people and diversity of opinions. The church that Paul also writes was writing to in Rome had both Jews and Gentiles. And within that church, they had different opinions about food restrictions and holidays. And some of these different opinions were cultural. Some were religious and some were both. Now, mind you, these are not convictions that strike at the core doctrines of our faith. So it's not like they're not arguing about who is Jesus and, and how are we saved or whether Gentiles should be circumcised, or what are the appropriate behaviors regarding sexuality and idolatry. Now, these, these were fundamental issues that they all agreed on. But here, Paul is speaking about disputable matters that we can disagree on, and even from time to time argue about disputable matters. These are the things that the Bible does not give a clear right or wrong answers to. Some people call them matters of conscience. Matters of conscience. So food and holidays were some of the disputable issues in the past and alluded alluded some of them in the modern ones. Alcohol consumptions, whether we should drink alcohol or not as Christians. Baptism, immersions or sprinkling, the gifts of the Spirit, Political affiliation, Democrats or Republicans, or neither. Public education versus private education or homeschool. 
worship styles, traditional or temporary hymns, Obano, Bach or Beethoven. Now this list could go on, but this doesn't even include all the stuff we argue about, about COVID. You probably have a strong opinions over all of these topics. You may have even been part of heated arguments on these topics, and that's okay. The Bible is not saying that we shouldn't have an opinion. It's even okay to say some opinions are better than other opinions. Paul makes that judgment here. He calls some people weak in faith in verse 1. Now he's talking about the people who only eat vegetables. Why are the vegetarians weak? It's not because they only eat vegetables, okay? Now Paul says they're weak in faith. Now imagine if you took a test, okay? You're, taking, you're going to take a test, and the teacher gave you 100 after you finished the test, a perfect score. But after you get this test back, you say, you know, I'm not sure if I, it's good enough. I need to beef up my answers just in case. So you spend the next few hours adding a few more paragraphs to each question, and, and, and that would be weird. Because you already got a perfect score, why would we need to do that? Now, when we believe in Jesus, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. And God sees us perfect because of Jesus. We're justified not by our own actions, but by Jesus' works, you have already gotten a hundred. There's nothing we could add to it. But for some people, they still, still felt that they had to keep the food regulations in the Old Testament. And because it's hard to determine whether an animal is kosher in Rome or not, these brothers just chose to only eat vegetables. Now, just to give you a sense of how a big deal this is, you know, you look at Peter in Acts 10, right? Peter was an apostle of Jesus. He personally heard Jesus declare all food clean. He saw Jesus died and resurrected. He was hungry and he was praying on the roof in Acts 10. And while he was praying, he saw a vision telling him to kill a bunch of birds and eat. And Peter said, oh, no way, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. But he still wanted to keep the food restrictions. What does God say to Peter? God says, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. Now, on the one hand, the food regulations in the Old Testament were such a big part of our faith that Peter was afraid to violate it. But on the other hand, God says it doesn't matter anymore because Jesus has already fulfilled that requirements of you, for you. He made you clean. So think of the Pharisees in the New Testament, right? You know, probably they didn't just wake up every morning thinking, hmm, how can I make people miserable today? No, you know, they, they, they were concerned about making sure that there's no way for people to break the law. To make sure the food is clean, so wash our hands. And not just our hands, but also wash the elbows and shoulders. Or may think of some modern examples, okay? Now, the Bible says drunkenness is wrong. And some may just say that, you know, just to be safe, don't drink any alcohol at all. The Bible says we should be good stewards with our money. But some people may think that just to be careful, we shouldn't even carry any debts, not even credit cards. The Bible says we should be pro-life. But some may take that 
we could only vote for pro-life candidates and make that the priority issue over all other biblical issues like justice or care for the poor. You know, when we think of something, someone being weak in faith, it doesn't mean that they have a lack of self-control. Now, sometimes it could be a bit too much self-control. They're all a bit uptight about following the rules, you know, just in case. They're not enjoying all the freedom that the gospel offers us. That's why Paul calls them weak in faith. And we are sons and daughters of God, and the family of God includes a variety of opinions. And these opinions may reflect different levels of maturity, and that's okay to evaluate others' opinion, encourage people to grow in their maturity. But if you're someone who is strong in faith, you are someone who knows you're right, you are you know that even Apostle Paul sides with you. What is impulse? How do you usually react to things? Well, let me tell you what my impulse is, okay? My impulse is to look at a weaker brother and maybe roll up my sleeves a little bit. And I would say, you idiot! Even Paul says you're wrong. Now listen and learn from me. Now, our impulse is to look down on the weak, right? As Paul says in verse 3, the one who eats tends to despise the one who abstains because I know I am right. Why shouldn't I make sure they agree with me? Not they should become strong like me. Now, I think this impulse is actually true for everybody. Not just the strong, but not because we are all equally right, but because we all think we are right. Now, there's so many times I would leave a dinner disappointed because certain issues did not come up, certain topics did not come up. I missed a chance to tell people how wrong they are. <laughs> now, what are the impulses of the weak now? And for the more rule-oriented folks, their impulse is to judge the other side as reckless and impure. As Paul puts in verse 3, the impulse for the one who abstains is to pass judgment on the one who eats. The word judgment here is not just to have an opinion or to evaluate. It means to condemn, to place people on trial and action that ultimately belongs to God. They're not being careful enough. They don't care about God. They're taking too much liberty. Or we pass judgment on someone's faith based on certain behaviors. But they voted Democrats. They can't be pro-life. They drink. They don't believe the Bible. He has a tattoo. He's not a true Christian. You know, my wife said something pretty profound um, last year during COVID. Well, we're still in COVID, but you know, anyhow. She said, people now use obscure political position to gauge whether someone is a true Christian. People use obscure political position to gauge whether someone's a true Christian. And I think we have all passed judgment on people just like that. So what Paul says to both camps here, for both the weak and the strong is, don't do it. Don't cave into your impulses. Your core identity as sons and daughters of Christ, of God, changes your behavior. And there are at least four reasons why you should change your impulses. So first... Change your impulse for God's sake. 
Your brothers and sisters are God's servants, not yours. They don't answer to you. And you are not in position to judge them. You know, when I was growing up, I was usually the best student, the best kid in the class, both in China and here, and I was definitely the teacher's pet. And because I was such a good student, I would start telling people what to do. And I was shocked that I was not more popular. <laughs> and of course, I found out later that nobody liked the teacher's pet, not even the teacher's. And you may think you're being a good person by making sure everyone's living up to your standard, but it's not your business. God writes, Paul writes, it's, there, it's before his own master that he stands or falls. So give them a little space. Now second, change impulse for Christ's sake. See what Paul says in verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. And that doesn't just mean to tolerate him, but to welcome him as Christ welcomed him. Now, don't just put other people down because verse 4 says, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And early in Romans 8, Paul says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, God has redeemed your brothers and sisters. He has loved them. He's the Lord's. They're also sons and daughters of God, regardless of how you feel about them. So get on board. And third, change your impulse for their sake. And the verse 5 says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. If you want to get your friends to agree with you on any of these issues, they will have to arrive on these convictions on their own. Now, for example... And let's say one of your friends doesn't drink alcohol at all, okay? And you want him to start appreciating the blessings of wine. You invite him to dinner at your house, and you pour him some red liquid in a glass. And let's say he likes it, and he wanted more. And you keep pouring more and more of that. And finally, you said, aha, I got you to drink wine. And you liked it. Now, that would do him no good because now he is changing his behavior without a deeper change in his convictions. He may begin to feel guilty about what he has done. And he stops trusting you. If you want, someone, you want to see someone change opinions or positions, sometimes you have to play the long game and give them some space to change. They have to change not for you, but for God. They have to believe it. It is the right thing to do. And Paul is very gracious about this. Now, there's an obscure sentence in Philippians 3 where Paul says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this also to you. If you believe, great. If you're not, God will reveal it to you. So give them some time. And lastly, Fourth, change your impulse for your own sake. Paul says at the end, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. If we usurp God's power to condemn and despise our brothers, one day that role will be reversed. 
and we will be judged also. The truth is, however wrong you think your brothers and sisters are, they can't be any more wrong than our former self when we rebelled against God. If, been, if we have been forgiven such a big debt, and can we humble? Can we be humble and charitable to charitable charitable to others? Now think of all the issues that divide our government and societies. You know, masks, vaccines, education, money. Almost all of them are disputable matters, according to Romans fourteen. Now, what kind of message can we send to the world when the issues that divide our governments and societies become minor differences within the church family? Because we're united by something much deeper. We're sons and daughters of God, and that identity changes our impulse to each other. Let me just end by telling you how I was changed. So I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And when I first became a Christian, I was, you would call it a fundamentalist jerk. Okay? If people were having fun, I hated it. I had a friend who went to a PCA church, and he was a charming and funny, and he drank and he danced, and I didn't get it at all. But he would spend a lot of time with me. He would come to my dorm almost every night to drink my tea and listen to my complaints about girls and church. And some of our friends would say afterwards, Ryan Zhang was super quirky, over the top, but Javier was one of those people that just loved Ryan anyway. And because he would spend so much time with me, I ended up going to church with him. And slowly, my fundamentalist shell began to melt, and I learned to see the beauty and freedom of grace. Now, you can't argue people to change. You can't strong-arm people to change. But you can love them to change. As Paul writes in First Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And that's what Romans 14 is all about. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you've given us a diverse community, especially here in Redeemer. You've given them a diverse community ethnically, a community that have. So that's formed by different people from around the world coming together. But we also know that in everywhere in America, we have differences in opinions, and that within the church, we have a diversity of opinions and viewpoints and political views. And Father, we pray that you will help us to love one another, to know that we are bound by a much deeper identity as sons and daughters, that you draw us close as one people, and help us to be gracious. And charitable to others, because you have been so gracious to us that as you died for us and redeemed us, help us to extend the same grace that you have given us to others to welcome people in the name of Christ, as you have welcomed us. Father, we pray for our hearts to change and our hearts to melt in a season of divisiveness in our nation. We pray that the church could be a different witness to the world than what they see on the news. Pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.